All right, it's great to see you and welcome you on this Christmas morning, and as Pastor Randy said at the beginning of the service, uh, a little bit different format today in case you're visiting. All of our kids are with us here today, and we're grateful to have our kids here, and we know that uh, kids, there's a lot of excitement going on at home. There's some gifts, and there's the tree, and all those kinds of games, and toys, and all that kind of stuff, and I want you to know that you're going to get back there pretty quick today, okay? All right, so... uh, so we've shortened the service here today, for, and that's one of the primary reasons for that. Give families time to be together. Uh, but we're grateful that you've taken time this morning. Uh, some of our church family came last night to the Christmas Eve service, so uh, some of them are traveling, but, uh, but we're just grateful that you're here today to celebrate the Lord's presence with us. Uh, I want you to know that part of our congregation is right out back cooking about, what, 60, 70 turkeys that are going to be delivered as part of a meal through hope and friendship to about that many families in our church right uh, later this afternoon. And so um, uh, I just before the service, I ran out there, took a quick look, and they've got things under control. They've got a crew of about 25 down there, I'd say, putting those turkeys, uh, you know, deep fry, all that kind of stuff. So uh, I was going to say this. uh, If you know of a family uh, that would be in need of a Christmas meal today. Uh, Terry O'Neill told me that after the service, you could go up to the township building uh, right behind Chapin's, and you can get uh, a meal, including one of these turkeys. And if you have somebody in mind or someone that comes to mind during the service, and they may be, maybe they've been facing some struggles this year uh, situation, feel free to go up there and grab one of those meals and uh, deliver it today. That would be a great blessing for them and for you too. Well, uh, you know, next to Jesus, uh, Mary is the main character in the Christmas story. And we're going to take a few minutes this morning to listen to just a part, the most important part of her story as it is written for us by Luke. And I want to start with these words that Luke uses not to introduce her story, but to introduce his entire book about the story of Jesus, because these are very important words that, about how Luke approached the story of Mary and the story of Jesus. This is what he says in Luke chapter 1, verse 1. He says, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. He's talking there about the story of Jesus, his words, his deeds. Just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. Now, Theophilus was a friend of Luke's in Rome. He was writing the letter to him so and to us so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. Those are important words. Because Luke is telling us that he is writing history. He's writing history. And then in the very next verse, he locates the events about which he's going to be writing, at least where they begin. He locates them in historical time. This is what he says. In the time of Herod, king of Judea. Now, we jump over a little bit further into the first chapter where Mary enters the story of Jesus, and this is what Luke begins to write there in chapter 1, verse 26. Luke says this, 
God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. Now, you may want me to stop right there for just a second because you might be saying to me, Jim, Luke can't be writing history here because he's talking about an angel being sent to Nazareth. Now, yes, Nazareth was a real town, and it still is a real town in Judea. But you know what? We don't write about angels in history. So I want you to stay with me for just a second here. Because what Luke weaves into his historical narrative about Mary is going to get even more unusual than what we are used to reading in our history books. So here's what he says going on, beginning with verse number 27. Mary was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel, the angel, appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I'm a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. Now, uh, We, the question here is, is Luke really writing history? Well, he clearly says that he is writing in the historical genre. He is not writing fable or legend. He is citing dates and places and towns and people, people's names from that day and time. He has cited eyewitnesses. He has done thorough investigation of everything going back to the very beginning of the records about the story of Jesus Christ. Luke is clearly intending to be understood as writing history. But you might say, but God doesn't involve himself in human history. And I would ask right back, are you sure about that? What if there is a God who loves us so much that he broke into our history to save us from our own self-destruction. And if there is such a loving God, why would we ever want to bar him from getting involved in our history? Now, the Jesus that Luke is going to go on to write about here, when Jesus, when he went into his ministry, he, he said everything. He, he confirmed Luke as history. He said, I am the Son of God. He said that over and over and over again. Luke got the historical narrative exactly right. That's who I am, is what Jesus said. I, I am the Savior come to redeem humanity from its own self destruction. And after 21 centuries of progress and 2,000 years since Luke wrote this piece of history, Are we still in as much need of a Savior in our world as we ever were? I don't think we've done that great of a job of delivering ourselves as a human family. There's all kinds of threats to the human family right now. 
if, if God does not involve himself in history, then I'll tell you what, we are a pretty hopeless humanity. We're hopeless in our own individual lives. If, God, if, there is, if there's no God to be involved with us, and if there, on a global scale, if there's no God to be involved with us, it's a sinking ship, folks. Luke is saying that God got involved in Mary's life so that he could get involved in all of our lives by bringing upon her a pregnancy such as the world has never seen before or since and never will see again because she was called by God to give birth to the one and only Son of the living God, Jesus Christ, our Savior. Now I want to come back to the same question that we talked about last night in the Christmas Eve service. So if you were here in the Christmas Eve service tonight, last night, then you're going to, you're going to walk through, uh, you're going to hear a message a second time within 24 hours, okay? Uh, but you know what? That's okay. <laughs> what was it about Mary that God saw that caused him to choose her to bear and give birth to the Christ child, to the Savior? Was it that she was perfect? No. She was part of the same fallen and flawed and broken family tree of Adam and Eve that you and I are all part of. She had her, she had her life situation just like you and I do in her struggles. Here's what I think it was. This is why God chose Mary. I believe it was because of what he saw in her heart. And you know, the scripture says this. God does not look upon the outward appearance of a person. God looks upon the heart. And there are three things about Mary's heart that teach us some things that we really need to know. Number one, she had an open heart toward God revealed by the fact that though she was shocked and troubled and scared when the angel appeared and gave her this extraordinary plan, Yet her response to the Lord was immediate. She said, Lord, I'm your servant, and may everything that you have said to me, may it happen just exactly as you desire. So Mary had a heart that was wide open, wide open to God. And isn't it something that we human beings have the capacity to either open our hearts to God or close our hearts up tight toward God and shut him out? Mary didn't try to hide from God. Uh, that would be impossible anyway, wouldn't it? She, he didn't, he, she didn't try to hide her flaws. She didn't try to hide her fears. She didn't try to hide her doubts. She didn't try to hide anything from God. She brought everything she had. She was an open book. She was transparent. She was responsive toward God. You know, it takes a lot of courage for a human being to be transparent with God, to be totally transparent with God, with our flaws, our fears, our hang-ups, our attitudes, our struggles, struggles that, we, that have never seen the light of day, things in our lives that we have never told another human being. And yet, we're not going to hide that from God. We're saying, God, take a look at my heart. Go down into the basement, into the deep, deep damp, dungy, moldy basement, and look at everything that is inside of me down to the deepest part of me. 
It takes a lot of courage for a human being to be transparent with God. But that is the very first necessary step any of us can ever take if we want to walk forward into the future that God has designed for us. If we box God out of our lives, we are boxing Him out of His involvement in our future. We're shutting our future down if we box God out of our lives. And it was because of Mary. She had the courage to live with an open heart before God that she was given the opportunity to move into the future that God had for her nine months later to become the mother of the Savior of humanity. She's our example of how important it is to live with an open heart. Second thing about Mary Chapter 2, verse 19, Luke goes on to reveal another extremely important characteristic about Mary, her heart. And this statement is made about her on the night of Jesus' birth. She makes this statement after the visit of the shepherds. And the shepherds, as you know, were out in the fields taking care of their sheep like they'd done a thousand nights before. All of a sudden, the heavens light up. There's a concert of angels singing Glory to God and peace on earth. And then one of those angels says to them, okay, born to you tonight in this very city of David in Bethlehem, just a a short distance from here, is the Savior, the long prophesied, the long promised Savior of the world. Now, you go on over there and you worship him. And so the shepherds make their way over. You know the story. They come in. They begin to worship this infant child. And the scriptures say that Mary was just, she was astounded by what was going on here in that stable that night. And then the scripture makes this statement. Luke says this about her. It says, after the shepherds have left, and it sort of quieted down in there, except for the cows mooing and all that kind of stuff, okay? It got quiet in the stable. It says, Mary pondered all these things in her heart. And we don't use that word ponder very much. How many of you have done any pondering this week? Okay. What is it it like to ponder? Well, when you ponder, you sort of sit like this. And you you might even get up and you pace around. You're you're in deep thought. When you're pondering something, you're, you're just wrestling with something. You're trying to understand something. You're reflecting deeply. That's what Mary did on all these things that had happened the night of the birth of her son. What, that, what, that, what does that tell us about Mary? She was a woman of deep reflection who did not want to live a shallow life. And you know what? We have to do some pondering in this world or we're going to end up living a very shallow life, just sort of skimming across the surface. And we live in a society that puts an awful lot of pressure on people to create an external image for the sake of gaining popularity or acceptance or success or beauty or just to be cool. We can put on this image of trying to be cool. But you know what? That's all on the surface stuff. That's shallow. And you know what? It's also very exhausting. One of the most exhausting things in this world is to try to pretend that you're something that you're not really. And it's to live a pseudo-self, 
to, to try to live a, a lie about who you are. That's one of the most, to hold that image up every day, every night, oh, it's heavy, it's hard. You know, what a relief it is. What a relief if we just come to God and go back to transparency a little bit, come to God and say, Lord, I don't want to be a false me. I want to be the real me. I want to be the me that you created me to be. And so Mary, she wanted depth in her life more than she wanted to protect some sort of constructed image that she was trying to present to other people. And that's what Mary teaches us about this second quality in her heart. Um, You know, if Mary had been concerned about her image, then I can tell you she would never have said yes to the Lord. Oh yes, I'll be the mother of the Savior. I'll be a virgin who is pregnant and totally can't explain it to anybody. And everybody's going to be walking around town, including including Joseph, to whom I'm engaged. And they're going to be accusing me. They're going to be judging me. They're going to be criticizing me. And she endured that for nine months of pregnancy. She wasn't concerned about her external image. What she wanted was she wanted depth in her life. She wanted to know the real Mary and not some pretend Mary that everybody else would see. So Mary had an open heart that said yes to God. And then she had this pondering heart that wanted depth. And the third thing about Mary's heart is this. She had a wounded heart. Now God asked an awful lot about Mary when he asked her to become pregnant under these very strange circumstances. Her own family, the people of the town, even Joseph, as I said a moment ago, she was engaged to him, but you're pregnant. How? And then there were the rumors, and she was being rejected and condemned, and you can only imagine. It had to be very lonely for Mary during those nine months of pregnancy. And then on top of that, nine months later, after Jesus was born, when Joseph and Mary took Jesus into the temple to be dedicated, which was the custom among the Jewish people, Simeon the prophet held the baby Jesus in his arms, and when he did that, the Holy Spirit gave him this prophecy, this prophetic statement to make over the child Jesus. And he basically said something like this. He said to Mary, he said, your child is going to face great pain. He's going to face great criticism, injustice. He is going to face tremendous abuse. And you know what? And then then he said to Mary, he said these statements. One, One little sentence. He said, and a sword is going to pierce your heart. He didn't say that about Jesus, although Jesus was pierced, right? Remember that on the cross? But he said that to Mary. Mary, now what's happening here? Well, what is, what is the bond between a mother and a son? Can anyone, can anyone explain the depth of that, the bond between a mother and a son? That's what Simeon was talking to Mary about here. And what he was saying was that when your son goes into his ministry and he begins to be slandered and mistreated, and then when he gets on that cross 
Every stab of pain, every criticism that strikes him is going to stab your heart too because there's that maternal instinct. You're the mom and he's your son. Now, Mary also got the first hint that day that no mother ever wants to hear in this world. She got the hint that her son's death was going to precede her own. And that was that. So, so Mary lived with a, a wounded heart. And it's hard to live with a wounded heart, isn't it? But you know what? God chose Mary because he saw that even when her heart was deeply wounded, she would still keep her heart open to God. God saw that she would not allow her wounds to become the avenue of poison into her heart. Poison of bitterness, poison of anger, poison of rage, poison of disillusionment. And Mary is our example of a woman, of a person who continued to grow and to move forward into her future, even with a wounded heart. This is a world where every human heart will be wounded, sometimes very, very deeply. Here's the question. Will you keep your wounded heart open to God? Will you keep your wounded heart being a person who continues to seek depth in God and not get derailed by pain from, from becoming the person and, that God created you to be? Now, where did Mary get that kind of strength? Where did she get that kind of faith? to walk through suffering. And we all need to be reminded from time to time that this isn't heaven, right? Would you agree with me? This isn't heaven yet, right? I don't think so. Uh, I know so. Heaven is where all of our tears get wiped away, right? That's what the book of Revelation says. Heaven, our tears get wiped away. Then there's no more pain, no more sickness, no more death. What is that saying? That's saying it. That's then, but it's not now. Now we walk through this world, we take some wounds once in a while. Are we going to keep walking with God is the question in the midst of the wounds. Mary had a relationship. So where did she get that strength? Mary had a relationship with Jesus as his mother, that's for sure. But that relationship became even deeper when she received him as her savior in addition to being her son. Mary stood at the cross. She received her son as her savior. And she points us to Jesus Christ as our savior because it is her son who died on the cross taking the blame for all of our sins, all of our flaws, so that we could be completely forgiven of all of our sins, no matter what God sees down deep inside of our hearts, no matter what's down in the dark basement of our lives. We don't have to hide that from God because Jesus died. And he says we can bring that into the light and God will completely, with love and compassion sweeping over us, he will completely wash that away from us. 
We can be clean before God. That's his love. And so Jesus died on the cross so that we could have that relationship with him in which God enters into our lives and begins to help us overcome our struggles. And he begins to help heal our wounds. And then we find depth in God and we begin to find ourselves too. Wouldn't it be a tragedy to live your whole life and never meet yourself? That can happen because we can only meet ourselves by, go, by knowing God. The deeper we go into God, the deeper we come to know who we are and what he created us to be. So, just as Mary came to Christ, everyone and anyone in this room today, if you've never come to Christ, where you're seated right now, you can say, Lord, I want you to be my Savior. I receive you. Come into my life. I believe you died on that cross for my sins to forgive me. I receive you. You pray that prayer, the Lord comes into your life, and he begins to take residence there, and he'll begin to make himself known to you, begin to reveal and work in your life. And you know, Mary uh, leads us to communion this morning. Because communion pictures and celebrates what Jesus Christ did on the cross for our salvation. And so we're going to prepare ourselves for communion right now as we sort of come to the closing moments of our service today. And I'm going to invite you to stand with me right now as we do that. And let's pray together as we prepare our hearts to come to the Lord's table together. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for the wonderful reality that we have in Jesus Christ, that he is part of our human history, and he still wants to be a part of our own personal history. And Lord, Uh, We bow down before you. We believe that you are exactly who you said you were. You are the Savior. And we can know you. And Father, I pray for any person this day in here that is for the first time ever inviting you into their life, Lord, that you will come and your presence will become very real to them. They will know that you are who you say you are. And Father, um, we pray that as we come to communion today, And we remember the greatest of all gifts, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that you will just uh, help that come alive in our hearts and minds once again. And Lord, let let these be sacred moments as we share share, uh, this communion together this morning. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.